Bloody Elbow presents Show Money, the podcast that focuses strictly on the business side of combat sports. Here are your hosts, John S. Nash, Paul Gift, and Jason Cruz. Welcome to Show Money, the only show exclusively dedicated to the business of mixed martial arts. I'm Paul Gift, the economist. With me, as always, we have Jason Cruz, our lawyer, John Nash, the man who knows everyone and everything in MMA. We're recording this on Sunday, October 16th, and we have two main topics here today, and then we might just throw in some things as they come up along the way, but what we're going to do is uh, give you our uh, a review and our breakdown of the recent uh, UFC antitrust hearing. It was actually something that happened in the, I can't say the UFC antitrust case anymore because there's two of them, so in one of them, they, we have literally been going, I don't know over a year, year and a half or so with pretty much nothing. Um, and we actually had something significant. So we'll explain that. And then we're going to get into uh, John's new work that he was, when we were talking off camera, not too thrilled to discuss, but we are thrilled to discuss it, John, uh, what he found on one championship and then Chatri's response to Ariel Hawani. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But so on September 30th, there was a hearing in the Johnson antitrust case. So this is Cajun Johnson. So this is a follow-on antitrust lawsuit to the original one brought by Kung Lee and others. And this one was brought by Cajun Johnson and I think a couple other people. I can't even remember. I always just think of him. I can't even C. remember. C.B. Dalloway. On there. Yeah. Who? C.B. Dalloway. There we go. Uh, and it deals with basically the middle of 2017 on and so the question is, uh, should it continue? So they filed it, I think somewhere around a year ago and the UFC filed a motion to dismiss. It had basically been ignored by the judge for a while because he was doing, I don't know what the hell he's doing, but he was doing other stuff. And he finally got around to having a hearing in that case. And, um, so I'm going to throw it over to Jason t- to see if it went down how he expected, but basically. Well, the judge at one point said that he was uh, leaning towards denying the motion to dismiss and then just dealing with an endeavor issue later. But what he decided ultimately at the end was to put the whole entire Cajun Johnson case on pause. And he's going to let the original case, which is Kung Lee, he's going to eventually issue his class certification order on that. Uh, should be hopefully, we hope around November, but we're not sure because of this other case that might go to the Supreme Court. But whenever Judge Bulwer issues his class certification on the original antitrust lawsuit, the UFC will appeal it. And then that full appeal process will play out. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, possibly the Supreme Court, whenever all that is done, which could be years from now, we're going to come back and then he'll handle whether the K. Jim Johnson lawsuit should continue. So Jason, you are our lawyer. Did things go down as you expected? Well, um, did did things go down as expected at the Cajun Johnson hearing? Well, I decided to go on a bike ride instead of going to the hearing. There's two reasons why that is the case. One, I want to go on a bike ride. Two, um, the hearing also included issues related to discovery. So if they're going to dismiss your case, you probably aren't. And, and they they also have on the same hearing a discussion about discovery. It's problem, probably not going to happen that your case is going to be dismissed. But regardless of that fact, 
it, it, the motion to dismiss by Zufa was similar to the one that they filed in the Kung Lee case, which happened, oh, you know, like in 2016, 2017. And nothing has changed. The result was probably the same. If you looked at the motion to dismiss, it was pretty much the, the same issues, the same, the same reasons why uh, they wanted to dismiss the Kung Lee case. Um, why was that? Well, because the, the, the complaint by Caden Johnson and CB Dalloway basically were the same. So, uh, do, did, did anyone believe that the Cajun Johnson case was going to dis- be dismissed and then the Kung Lee case stayed around? Uh, you know, probably hard, hard, hard to believe that logic. And if that were the case, that, you know, uh, that, that would be uh, uh, upside down. But anyway, uh, sometimes we feel like we are in upside down world. Uh, as far as the the uh, decision by Judge Bulwer goes, well, it sounded like that he just didn't want to deal with the, the motion to dismiss. I think if you looked at the order, it was basically there was not going to be a, a, an opinion related to the motion to dismiss. He's just saying, hey, I'm dismissing this this there's no order i'm not writing up an opinion like i did uh x amount of years ago when the kung when the kung lee motion to dismiss was denied he read up a whole order on why that was dismissed there's not going to be the case here and that's mainly because he's going to want to bring together the two cases at some point hopefully that's what that, that i'm sure that's what he hopes to do now uh, what happens if the case, uh, if the U.S. Supreme Court takes the Tuna case, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals case that we re- we we've talked about in prior hearing, prior I mean prior show monies, where Judge Bulwer is waiting for that. Well, if the U.S. Supreme Court takes that case, we will have to wait till next summer to see what the opinion is for to see how Judge Bulwer will rule on it. And perhaps that actually might be good because then we have a definite, uh, definite uh, pinpoint target date to look forward to. Because at this particular point, Judge Bulwer is taking his own sweet time on the Kung Lee class action certification order, which he already had decided X amount of years ago. Uh, now, the question that I'm sure everyone has, which we've bannered about, is why is Judge Bulwer taking so so long? Well, the easy answer is because he can't. It's a federal judge. It's a federal judge. Everybody likes to do their own research. Look up Article 3 of the Constitution, and you'll see your resp- answer. Judges don't, federal judges can't be fired. They can't be fired. You can't write a letter to their, to their superior and say, this guy sucks. I mean, they cannot be fired. So he could take his time. There are no mandates in criminal law. If there was a federal case for criminal law, he would have to be, there are mandates for criminal law to deal with. But for at this particular point, he can take his own own time. I mean, uh, certainly uh, the plaintiff's attorneys in this case have tried to take their direction as far as actually trying to set a hearing. They've in July or uh, June, they've actually tried to bring a motion to call a con- conference. I don't know how that worked because I don't know if the judges responded. But basically, there, there, that is where you are at this particular point, and that's particularly to a wider circumstance 
why uh, people should uh, pay attention when uh, people appoint judges to the federal circuit. I'm not saying that Judge Burwell is a bad, a bad judge, but I'm just saying that he's taken a long time and he doesn't need to wait for this particular case. So there you go. John, you looked at one point like you had something you wanted to interject in there. No, oh, probably I couldn't remember. It just eyes uh, <laughs> like lit up. Uh, no, uh, I will we'll say one thing, and uh, I think uh, because this man did a bike ride instead of watching, listening to the hearing live, he missed some key information. One is Bolwer has said he's written twice now the written opinion. So I'm, I'm I don't know if that's true or not, but I'm almost willing to give him a slide a little bit because it sounds like. He has the written opinion. He's had it for a long time. And the only reason is he kind of said the only reason he hasn't released the written opinion for the, to be clear, the Lee versus Zupa lawsuit, which is the 2010 through 2017 period. We got to come up with some handy s- s- slang for like, what's the first lawsuit? What's the second? So I guess we just, we can call it Lee. Why do we call him first and second? First. Okay. The first, the first antitrust lawsuit, which covers 2010 to 2017. That one, he said he's had two written opinions for class certification ready to go, and he keeps changing it. Doesn't want to write any more until the tuna cases, we'll call it the the Oleana case. Call it the the, the abbreviation with the tuna case for that until the tuna case is decided. And the reason he had this hearing is because he knows there's a chance that this is basically we're at the point where it, it, the was it certiorari, uh, Paul, for the Me? Supreme Court? No, I should say Jason. What Sir is it? Shiar. The Supreme Court are they've been this has been sent to the Supreme Court, been asked them to review the the tuna case. If they agree to look at it, then there's a bigger delay. If they don't, if they turn it down, then basically he can submit his written opinion tomorrow. So now we'll but then we'll really know. Did you really write the opinion? Do you really have an opinion written? Or are you just are you GR Martin just saying that (laughs) that you're working on stuff? So that's that'll be that point. But it was interesting because I thought there were some – we have an interesting timeline. We have a timeline at least laid out what's going to happen. I mean, it's all based on what happens in that tuna case. I think the argument I, – I had the sense that the judge – that the, the argument – the judge went with the argument that we really can't make any decision on the Johnson case until we move ahead with both – the Lee case and discovery in the Johnson case, because as the plaintiff's argument is the same situation, the same environment does no longer exist. And the, you know, there's more, the contracts are different, which they brought up the, there's more competition as they claimed. And so there's a different environment. So you can't use the same lawsuit, in which case we have to get into some sort of discovery phase to prove that the environment has changed. So so and now that I think about it, nothing really nothing happened. God dang it! <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. So I want I want to make one point. One one point. So there was a hearing in September of 2020. It was a telephonic hearing. I believe it was right around the time where they had just gotten back from COVID. And I, I wish we had the recording because he said in that September 2020 hearing that he had the opinion ready, and this was before. Olean went to the Ninth Circuit. So he claims that he had the opinion ready. But then we go back, I believe it's December of that year, and then we have the, the Tuna case uh, pending before the Ninth Circuit. Well, I, I think if I remember your dates, might be, I think it was 2019. We had, 2019. Okay, we had sorry, the hearing. Yeah. He said he's ready. 
that later that year he had a conference call. It sounded yes. like he was going to issue it. And then in spring, there was another one that sounded like it was the yes. scheduled, it was no, supposed to be the scheduled call that he was going to, that was the day he was basically going to meet and submit the written opinion. And then like two a week or no, just a few days before that, the Zupa's lawyer submitted the Oleana case. Yes. Okay. To have him review that. And then like, so God, if he just had submitted it when he said, we yeah. would have had it out. It would be yeah. And that was I, I that date I remember. That was December 2020. He said, yes. I'll, I'll, "You'll have my order or opinion, whatever he calls it, on Monday." That phrase is etched in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I just wanted to say it's just you know. So he had it, but it seemed as though he had written it before uh, the tuna case. But you'd have to think that somebody, you know, his clerks or whatnot, would have had eyes on that tuna case already, saying, "Hey." You want you might want to you know either wait for this case or what do you think about this case? Will it have any bearing? And to be honest with you, you could have he could have submitted this case without the Tuna case, and it, you know. But it, there is a belief that you know if uh, you know uh, this would be appealed once the issue of the Tuna case happens. So I mean, I don't know if that's what he's concerned with. Um, I don't know. There is not a rule. There's no rule that says he cannot uh, submit his ruling. You know, he, he doesn't have to wait for this two hundred case. It, I mean, you know, you could argue that it's not uh, it's not president precedential to this case. Um, and he doesn't have to wait because there's no law right now. There's no no courts, uh, you know, that that uh, uh, that uh, would. Um, you know, uh, would rule against whatever he's ruling against because like, we don't know what the opinion says. His opinion about class certification says so. Yeah. Well, for the layman, we should probably for people that are in the know to give a brief explanation of all this. Is that the the class or the written opinion is his written ruling that says this group of fighters this can represent all the fighters in the UFC in that period. So that's the class certification. The tuna case we referred to. That ju- that original case, the judge determined made a ruling that if there are there are members of that class that aren't damaged that are different than the other ones, you cannot say that that's a whole class. They can't represent them. Where before the ju- the ruling before was as long as preponderance. So I can't remember the vast majority. I can't remember the the, the lawyer here should correct me on the language there. Oh, but as long as the, the, the preponderance large, of the evidence, the preponderance of the, the, the a large number of them, at least enough of them were damaged, you can consider it a class. And so that's the, because that, that, that different, that new ruling in the tuna case, which was then overturned, but now being appealed again, because that different uh, standard in that tuna case, the Zufa wants that standard applied that says, Hey, some of these fighters are not the same as the others and you can't group them all together. So that's well, my layman. And yeah. let me throw in there. It's also this dueling battle of the experts that's also going on in tuna. And part of what the tuna people are saying is, Hey, you need to decide this before class certification. Whereas the plaintiffs are saying, Oh, that decision about whether it's 28% undamaged versus whatever, six or 7%, that can wait to go to the jury. And in our case, it's 14 fighters undamaged versus the UFC's version, which is every single fighter in the whole roster undamaged. Right. So it, it, part of it is that is when does a judge need to get around to decide these things? But if he has his opinion written anyway, if he was going to issue an opinion, well, the part I I go back to is why not just use the strongest standard if you're ready to do it and just write it in that way and just move this along. That's that's the part that I don't get. 
is that the, the plaintiffs, you know, are suggesting there should be a lighter standard and the UFC is suggesting there should be a more stringent standard. Well, um, I, I, why I didn't he just, why, why didn't he just use the, I, to me, I would just use the original standard because the tuna right. case is still up in the air. That's not the decided law. So it's like, why don't we, why change anything until it comes back and said, we changed the law. The other thing, this really impacts the plaintiffs because you remember they sent out letters about how there's other attorneys poaching their clients and it's, they're not allowed to speak to the, the class yet to tell them they can't contact the class yet to say we can potentially represent you. And so that's big on the, the fighters because at, at their, their, uh, what their percentage they're granted from the antitrust is the lodestar. That's granted by the judge. And so that's generally it's somewhere on a, on a large case. It's anywhere from like 16 to 22% of your damages go to the attorneys for their expenses and themselves. But if you sign on to this third, another attorney, they can ask for 50%. And so fighters who are getting contacted by it, and I've seen, we've seen the ad, I remember they were submitted, the, the advertised, the, the contact, it makes it sound like, Hey, we're just part of the lawsuit. We're here to represent you. Just sign this. Well, fighters can be signing over a big chunk of whatever damages they get potentially without knowing yeah. it. I thought there was something that seemed to suggest that that wasn't an issue anymore. Well, the judge, the, remember the judge went yeah. out and said, you, he, he said, they sent a cease and desist, not the judge, but the cease and desist by the plaintiffs. But I don't think there's any, the plaintiff's attorney, but I don't think there's any guarantee of that. There's no, there's no one voiding those agreements if fighters sign those. No, something recent in the last few weeks. It was like the judge, he like dismissed some motion as moot because the other guys are no longer relevant or something. It was something like that. Oh, we, so, uh, did you, did you well, guys see that? Well, we're not really on the ball in this case, then. We're not the experts, are we? I don't, I don't remember that filing. I, I could have sworn. I swear. It, it's something like that. I might be, have, have every detail, not have every detail right, but it was something that he, it was like a minute order or something. Let me go to Pacer. <laughs> yeah. Right, go ahead. Keep anyway, going. while he pulls it up, we can, um, we can, uh, uh, talk about there was, you know, one of the things that came out in the hearing was I'm going to ask you guys in a second if you understood what in the world Rob Maisie was trying to give me crap for on Twitter, but we're not, we won't go there yet. Um, because I, I still don't know what he was going after me for. Um, but, uh, one of the things we learned was that the UFC has perhaps been changing their contracts and John has been sort of leading the charge on this because he's the man who knows everyone and everything in MMA and part of everything in MMA is contracts and he gets to see a lot of them. And so, uh, you know, he regularly gives updates on contractual changes. I think you had a bloody elbow piece, what a year or two ago, maybe I don't know if my, time oh, frame uh, right. I think, yeah. End of last year about the kind of the changes to yeah. the, uh, I did a, I did a piece to a video on my, my new podcast with uh, Steph. Mm. Steffi Haynes about He's cheating uh, on it. No, I'm just kidding. You know, well, it's 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 for people to get the fix of show money, but without the without the actual knowledge, just me spouting <laughs> nonsense. Uh, if you can't get enough my rants, but we talked about the you know the Ngannou and uh, Diaz contracts and like the old, older new UFC contracts. But yeah, so I've looked yeah, at and a there was a blurb in there. There was a moment where Eric Kramer, the plaintiff's attorney, came out. I I wanted to review uh, to to try to recall what he said uh before this show but couldn't uh, but but the basic idea was it was like he was saying the UFC has has changed their contracts since mid 2017 he said he he said they definitely or certainly something like that added arbitration clauses to their contracts which leads me into not just that point but to you John one is what have you seen in that regard and if there's anything new-ish that you've seen in their contracts, what is it? Well, well, they, 
I mean, uh, also uh, uh, Isaac Williams, Wait, Bill uh, Bill Isaacson. Sorry, not Isaac Williams. Bill I- Bill Isaacs. Yeah, I think Isaac Williamson's an artist or something. I can't remember that name. I was anyways. about to say. I thought he was a singer. Say you're right. Yes, but something like that. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> the the uh, he uh, he said that they, they he said that a lot of this is moot too because we changed our contracts. We know that they've changed the contracts since 2017. The UFC contracts are different. What was interesting when he said that they, they, they put an arbitration clause in. Now that would be huge. That's a massive change because we saw a lot of the, we know a lot of the other changes. They have a sunset provision now on their contracts. They have a sunset provision on the retirement clause. They have two years after you're done fighting for the UFC, you get your image rights back. It's no longer perpetuity. You have the contracts I've seen don't have an exclusive negotiating period after 2017. They have the matching rights, but not the three months exclusive negotiating period. And there's some, a lot of other little stuff like that that are for beneficial to the fighters, but the arbitration would be huge. And I've been looking, I've, you know, I have a bunch of contracts up to probably the beginning of uh, this year. I haven't seen, I've gone, just scoured through them. I asked people, no one's seen this particular arbitration clause, but there was a rumor going around, not a rumor. People were suggesting that they'd seen or heard, but I never had concrete contract in front of me, that the UFC had introduced an arbitration clause concerning class action, which, but I don't think that would be what he's talking about because that'd be bad for the plaintiffs and the attorneys, because basically there's an arbitration waiver that, Companies have now been putting in their contracts saying you can't file a class action lawsuit in the future. You have to go to arbitration first. But so I can't see how an attorney trying to do a class action lawsuit would see that as a positive if that exists. So I'm still up in the air trying to find out what's going on. If the arbitration clause is introduced, it has to have been introduced in the last couple of months. So and that means there's a lot fewer fighters to, we can look at to. We have to find those particular fighters. So if there's a fighter or manager who has a very recent contract, contact me. Let me know if you see that arbitration clause in there. <laughs> contact him. If you feel like contacting any of the other two of us here, feel free to do that too. Go. Um, Go also, I will add, I, I don't remember him saying it in a way that was necessarily had to be positive for fighters. I just, I, I remember him saying they definitely added that I don't know that he was saying it in a good way or a bad way or whatever. Oh, you might be right. If that's the case, then it's the bad way. Then then that's the possibility because people were telling me that the UFC has been trying to insert that that waiver. And if, if you know, as soon as I find out for sure that they have, we'll know. But that that wouldn't shock me that they're inserting a a waiver for. I know I contacted them, the attorneys for the uh, the plaintiffs, to ask them about that and go, what you know, what the hey, did you say this? Were you mistaken or is this accurate? And their 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 reply was no reply, no you know. No answer. Can't we can't speak about the case? So they I'm like, thank you. you. Or they said, no, no. They replied, they're kind enough. So I'm sorry, we have no comment on that. I'm like <laughs> you bastards. I just no. I'm just kidding. I, Sometimes attorneys, I tell you, they're the worst. You, attorneys you know. are the worst. So anyway, right. um, what'd you the, find? Uh, what what Paul wanted was talking about. He is correct that so there was that emergency motion from plaintiffs about compelling whatever Sparachino law firm to stop um, soliciting. And it was denied as moot because as quote, it is the court's understanding that Sparachino PLLC is no longer engaging in the alleged communications that form the basis of the emergency motion. So it sounds like they've, they've decided to pull back and not uh, solicit uh, UFC fighters or people that might be a part of the uh, UFC lawsuit. But that's not meaning there's not other firms doing the same. That's correct. It's that's just all. them. It's no, just no. Them. Let me have this moment. Do you know what this means? At this moment, I am the man who knows everyone and everything. And you, you know, oh, <laughs> that'll be your new title. 
Let me have this moment. It's it's all it's all, it's all, it's all, all right. Moments over. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I don't know if you guys have anything you want to add. I'm curious. I, I, we didn't mention this before we came on air, but I'm curious. Did you know what in the world Rob Maisie was giving me crap for? Right. I pointed out there was a moment in the hearing where the plaintiffs came on and said. It was something about, un, you know, talking about the undamaged fighters uh, or really negatively impacted fighters, but they, I think they call them not impacted. Um, and there's 14 big name fighters, right? Conor McGregor, John Jones, GSP, Anderson Silva, two of the wrestler guys, right? Um, and a few others. They're all, all big names except for CM Punk, who the plaintiff's model has as when the market becomes more competitive, meaning the foreclosure rate goes down that their pay would not have gone up. It would have gone down. Oh, sorry, wait. <laughs> or, yeah, would not have gone up. It would have gone down. That's mm-hmm. negatively damaged. Um, and I was just pointing that out because you have to. If you're being honest about this, you have to point out when a model is weird. And that's weird. If it says you don't double your money by winning or clo- increase your money by winning your fight, that's weird. If it says that Conor McGregor wouldn't have made more money with more competition, that's weird. And Rob Macy started like giving me crap saying, uh, do you remember what Singer said like three years ago? And I have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, I know. That's how uh, you, you don't have uh, any idea. I, I wrote about this at the time. It's, uh, it, and I don't agree with their model because obviously I agree with the idea of anybody, anybody want to see my video on monopsony and uh, UFC. It's pretty clear. I think the top guys are the key source of monopoly, monopsony power. So, but he's talking about when Singer was on the stand and I remember this distinctly because Singer was asked about the damaged people. And his argument was my regression model, because they are such outliers that my regression model doesn't, doesn't pick up their damages. And that in fact, he even said that they are probably the most damaged, which is accurate probably, but what's weird to me is that they're the most damaged yet. They're, they're willing to surrender their damages, the potential damages, surrender those fighters, if the case, if they had to, if they had to drop fighters out of the, the, out of the group. And that was at the hearing that we were all at? Yes, we were there. So he basically said, I believe they're the most damaged. I don't know. I don't, my model like, does yeah. not. And I'm going to chalk it up to them being outliers. Is that what he said? Because that yeah. is, un- holy crap. That's exactly what, what he said. Not do exactly. You say, I believe they're the most damaged and my model doesn't. So. I, I'm highly suspect, suspicious of my model. That's what a normal person does. <laughs> Holy crap. I, tr- oh. I tried to go back and look through his hearing testimony. I couldn't find anything. So I had a note on that specifically because I remember you, that section. You have to tell me the day and. Oh, it's, and, well, the, it was during his, I don't know. We were there. We were there to hear it. We talked about it afterwards. In fact, <laughs> you go back to an old episode of ours. I'm sure we'll have a discussion that day about that because I remember that. <laughs> Christ. That, that makes it worse though. If you're like, I believe it should be this way. My mom doesn't, <laughs> you have to highly, you have to second guess your model, triple, quadruple guess your model. You know, it's possible your model could be right. It's not like you never believe your model, but I mean, if your model's doing other weird things, like winning your fight doesn't increase your pay, then you should be like, hmm, hmm. <laughs> All right. Well. Thank you well, that's, that's, that that's the answer. There you go. <laughs> well, he was giving me crap for it. And, and I wish I actually had that singer quote because I probably would have gone off even more. I, I think your, your better answer is you mute everybody from Twitter. <laughs> from what? From Twitter. You mute everybody so you don't have to deal <laughs> yeah. with that stuff. <laughs> there are certain people that are definitely worth. Oh, oh man. 
blocking uh blocking what's his name has been liberating uh what's his name the grappler <laughs> coach Grapp- extreme couture shields jake shields oh yeah yeah well i don't yeah life changing but you know they have their own opinions i can't fight it you know if you're you if you're if you're in the fight business you know you're gonna realize that the vast majority of fighters don't share the same views that i share and actually the truth is though we're probably as i'm though i'm not you guys are the college boys and everything in the professional class educated i'm just the poor working class kid but weren't uh, you on his show john yeah what's that (laughs) weren't you on jake's show no, no. John Fitch's show I was on. John Fitch. Oh, I'm John sorry. John Fitch asked me to be on, but yeah, it's the uh, same, same grappler, same, same wrestle. He'll, he'll wrestle grab you to death. Same type of wet blanket. So, <laughs> but, uh, no, just John kidding. seems reasonable minded. Yeah, there again, they have views as, as fighters that are different than most, you know, uh, most Twitter. The other thing too is I think a lot of people are on bubbles in Twitter. The vast majority of people just hold views. I, I just, in my opinion, is I have my belief system, and often the vast majority of people don't agree with me. So I got to live with that, and that's including fighters. I don't, I do not agree with ninety percent. There's, there's guys like Nate Corey. I probably get agree with a lot, but you know, there's other guys I don't, but I can still get along. You know, they're fighters. I have to expect that. You know, Emilian Aiko is probably my favorite part of the world. I'm terrified to find out what he really thinks. <laughs> so terrified. <laughs> I hear you. I like I like Nate on Twitter. So, I only talked to him a few times he, in re- the real world, but uh, he gets Twitter, a little like worked. Him. He gets a little worked up. So on Twitter, but yeah, but he's you know he's but still. But anyway, back to our show. Instead of boring people about our political <laughs> commentary here, but uh, uh, what else was on that hearing that was interesting? There was a few. That's others. what I was going to ask you guys. <laughs> other tidbits but i can't remember now because i was so distracted by political like length of trial in the you know 10 years from now when we finally get there yeah the 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 the, okay the good news is if they get to trial it's only gonna take a few weeks the bad news is there's two stabs at appeal probably at first we got to wait to the get the motion there's a then there's the appeal now but the appeal could go fast we never know it matters who gets to look at it with the court because when the high tech Silicon Valley appeal, the case that this is often compared to that the, the plaintiff's attorneys are compared to the high tech employees, that was only a few months for the appeal court to get it and send it back. And they, they, they asked for some, you know, uh, some comp, not what they asked for greater disclosure on certain things or, you know, to expand in terms so they could look at it. But they, that was only a few months. So that's a possibility that we go to, but the other possibility is several years and, uh, and if I'm the plaintiffs, I actually, I'm looking at the current makeup of the Supreme Court, I, I, I'd have to be more than a little nervous that, uh, that the Supreme Court will take a look at it. And, uh, it's, we, we are at the Lochner like court right you now. You know, can I jump in there? That's why I was surprised in the summer when they filed that, I guess, whatever motion you call it saying, Hey, can you just hurry it up? Move things along. Yeah. Issue, issue your order. And the, I don't remember exactly how they phrased it, but I was like, don't they want more of a delay that maybe Biden won't get to appoint any more Supreme Court justices and maybe there'll be a Republican in there later on? Wait, no, wait. wait that's the I just confused stuff. myself. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I just, I just messed that up. Don't they want more of a delay so that maybe Biden can have time to, to add a Supreme Court judge at some point? Or yeah, but, hopefully a Democratic president in the next term. Sorry. 
I, I messed up the beginning there. But well, there's they issues. don't want it to go to the Supreme Court now. That's what I was getting. I, but it doesn't. I don't know if it matters because there's a six three advantage. Even if the of justice dies and they appoint their five four. Yeah, well, you know, have to kill not a lot all of people, six right? always on the same wavelength. Sorry, or expand the court, and that <laughs> would—that's not that real. Would... Again, not a real. With the with the fifty fifty seat Senate, that's not a realistic option. So, well, I don't know. I mean, I, then then there's well, I I'm think killing there's... a thunder. What? <laughs> well, I'm just I'm saying, I, thunder. Yeah, yeah. But to expand the court. Well, <laughs> well, two I mean, things. Two the, things. The, the, the court. The other thing, Congress could just take away from the court certain the power to review certain court, you know, certain cases, certain types of laws. But again, with you have, you know, you got Mansion and Cinema and certain. They're never going to be able to do that. The reverse, but, though, when the when the if you had a Democratic uh, if you had a Democratic Supreme Court and the Republicans had a narrow edge, I think. This, with this current version of the Republican Party, they might be able to pull that off. Okay, so I'm going to say uh, that two things. One, uh, you usually write a letter to the judge asking them pretty please about things like, can we get a ruling on our goddamn emotion? Uh, so, you, I mean, bringing a motion to do a status conference seems a little wacky. Um, and if you're an attorney out there that thinks I'm wrong, fuck you. Uh, secondly, there goes, there goes the monetization. We cannot monetize this. Secondly, 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 um, I, I would just say that, um, the issue is like, what would, would, uh, a lawsuit get to the Supreme Court? I mean, again, look at the, look at the, uh, it's like winning the lottery, right? Uh, you, you, there's like 80 something cases that get heard out of 10,000 appeals, writs, 10,000 appeals. And it, this, I mean, it does. It, it it does. It would deal with the issue regarding the rule of law regarding class action lawsuits. But again, it has to. You know, you'd have to uh, hope for a needle in a haystack if the if the Supreme Court will take this take th- this certain case. So, um, you know, could could they? Yeah, of course they could take the case. But I mean, you again, you you're looking at you. You have to test those odds. And once again, you know, I don't even know if uh, uh, if this case uh, will be certified uh, by 2024. Right. I mean, we have no idea. Yeah, we, we do. Could, I mean, yeah. And so I'll, I'll throw one thing in there. I, I, I do not know. I'm not a Supreme Court scholar or a lawyer, um, but, you know, I did used to do uh, uh, litigation consulting for antitrust cases back in the day. Uh, good and thing I am. The, <laughs> the, the, what, you know, what we're talking about o- Olean or however you pronounce it and, and undamaged fighters, but a key issue and Judge Bulware's ruling is going to be, if he's letting this proceed, he's putting some sort of weight. We don't know what kind on this idea of wage share instead of your actual pay in dollars. And that, if it makes it past the ninth circuit, if they're okay with that, that's like, brand new in antitrust of monopsony like no one's ever done that before ever so i can't uh, imagine that that uh, wouldn't go to the uh, supreme I, court i gotta i gotta i gotta i believe i'm because i remember they in a complaint or a filing by the plaintiffs they cited two cases examples 
No. And I, I believe, yes, I believe there was way too. No. Yes, when you yes. look at them closely, they didn't. They cite, they cite old, they cite either non-sports cases where people are just looking at monopsony and then, and then, um, some sort of like aggregate wage share throughout the economy, or they cite things where sports economists are looking at wage share when we know what changed with monopsony power, but not this, what Singer is doing with a regression using wage share to assess monopsony power that that to my knowledge has never been done so that i i can't imagine that not being at the supreme court but i'm not a uh uh supreme court studier <laughs> i didn't want to say scholar you're not adam Lutak, who writes about the supreme court for the new york times or used to anyway. well uh, oh one other thing too the one good thing about the them i will say this as much as i think it's the top guys that are damaged and everything if they, if the case goes ahead, they reward damages. The people that always argue that, uh, I, you know, the people that always make the case like, Oh, I don't want to see the top guys get all the money. I'm worried about the other guys. Well, good, good for you because guess who gets all the money? Not the top guys, not Connor. Yeah. yeah not Connor. Not the guys that are, to me who really got ripped off. It's everybody out. The whole roster gets paid. I mean, if you look at the, the example they gave and Vasquez, a guy that got one fight in the UFC or something. Uh, got would be damages like forty thousand. So you're you know just use that as an example. And some guys that fought several times would get half a million. You know, based I, I don't know how the progression works, but anyways, the guys. So if your if your argument is like, oh, I don't. This only helps the top guys. Who again? I personally, I think that's who deserves them. <laughs> but if you're that type of person, be happy because that's who's getting the money is would not be the top guys. They're excluded. So that's the crazy thing. Just in case you weren't paying attention, John is an elitist who thinks that the multimillionaire Conor McGregor deserves more money. But uh... no, no, I wouldn't. I, I again, I, that's not exactly. I'm just saying that there's. Uh, we, we we'll have to have another show on that because it's a long conversation <laughs> about. Uh... But he makes a good point. That money that would have gone to Conor McGregor, Anderson Silva, John Jones, Brock Lesnar, all these guys. It's going to the lower level, up, you know, relative to them, the lower yeah. level people. people. Yeah. For me, though, the, the people that deserve the pay is not just the top guys, but it's people that have an inherent value to them because either they're draws, attractions themselves. Maybe they're not. I mean, like Matt Brown is not super highly rate, but he obviously has interest in his fights, especially back in the day. He would probably say that guy could have earned more. And the other one would be if fighters, if fighters had owned their own ranking, Obviously, fighters that have a ranking would be worth more. So, if you own your own rating, so that's those are the guys I think are the most damaged. But that's a that's a whole different. We you, that's a can of worms you got to go through. <laughs> but, but All right, guys, is there anything else you want to throw out there about this? Trying yeah, to think shout out to Matt Brown. He follows me on Twitter. How you doing, Matt? Yeah, that's a good. I don't know if you. I don't think he follows me, but so. But no, he's he has to. He I, follows I, me too. Well, so, oh Jesus, there's no Christ. way he doesn't follow you. Uh, let's go look. He evidently loves this stuff. Yeah, but you know what? He's already the best fighter in the UFC. Smartest guy in the UFC. <laughs> Good job, man. You know. He plays me in guitar. So there you go. Yeah, but anyway, so just to wrap up with this, um, uh, supposedly both sides of attorneys agreed that we should know something about that tuna case in November. And and let's just clarify this with you, Jason. If that tuna case gets accepted by the Supreme Court in November. Did it miss the deadline for this year or is it in for this year? No, because no, it's in, the for the original year. Paperwork in. it's in for the year. So okay. they'll hear it. And then you know, like the, like we learn, I mean, like they always do, 
is it end of July, end of June, end of June, first week of July, you'll get the, uh, uh, the, the opinions from the Supreme Court rolling out. And the Supreme Court issues just rulings and then tells the lower courts what to do. So in this particular case, uh, you know, whatever. If it tells it, if if it's if it's sustained, meaning it it agrees with the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, they'll just tell the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to just proceed. Um, if it does not, you know, it overturns the ruling from the Ninth Circuit, it'll just tell the Ninth Circuit, here you got to uh, conform your ruling with what we have told you to do. So overturn the ruling. So. That would mean in that particular case, you deny the class action because not uh, not everybody in the class was injured. You know, that that's what would happen. And then the, that would be a big win for Zufa because then Zufa would come back and tell the court, you know, hey, uh, you know, make the ruling now in conformity with the tuna case. Either right. way, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> I could just, yeah, so many viewers tune so, in case, just so. If we believe Judge okay. Bolton. Hey, you guys you ate starfish, starkest tuna. It depends upon their appeal, for God's sake. Starkest tuna. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, our whole world in MMA is revolving around tuna right now. That's what's going on. And so wow. we might know something in November, but even if we do know in November, I don't expect uh, Bulware to flip it in like a few days. It's probably going to be, I, my guess would be at least another month after that. But again, I, I'm convinced he's like George R. R. Martin. There's there we go. The, the pages are not there. As much <laughs> as he says he has them, they're not there. I believe they did. I just like, I actually believe Dana when he said that Zuck didn't rent out the, uh, the Apex and we found out it wasn't rented out. It was a partnership, right? They did a partnership and hey, they're so. doing VR. They're doing VR for their, their everybody was uh, going to see how the virtual reality was going to be. I don't think that, I don't know. Part- that felt, that felt like semantics. I mean, people were, when they, people say Zuckberg renting it out, they're basically saying, are you giving it to Zuck? Cause other people were bringing up the idea that there's some sort of, you know, part of the metaverse and stuff. And it still didn't answer the question. No, I'm guessing it was just a, it was the partnership and this was a test. Like, you know, Facebook people coming or whatever we call them coming in there and using the empty arena as their, their test. Are they not Facebook anymore? Is it meta? Yeah. Unfortunately. I I just, my my opinion though, those fights should go down as exhibitions. If you don't have, (laughs) if you don't have the media there, who's supposed to be the representative of the public. And this is a sporting event that, you know, sporting events that have a long history of uh, corruption and other problems with them. That's why we have public disclosure on at combat sports because of the problems. And that's why you're supposed to have the public there, some sort of representative of the public in, in their interest. Well, guess what? These are exhibition bouts. So should they get paid them? That's UFC should pay them. That's contractual. I'm just saying they're records. That's not an official fight. It is I'm interesting that. why they didn't want the media there, right? Because, I mean, other people can see what you're doing and tell their friends and they can, they can get yeah, out. It's televised for God's well, sake. No, uh, but like it's maybe fake. there might've been certain angles they didn't want on TV, right. For whatever they're doing. I don't know, but, but uh, how, how do we know? So how do we know that wasn't all computer generated by Facebook and their metaverse? Huh? <laughs> we have no one there to witness it. John Morgan wasn't there to keep an eye on them. Well, I'm just going to throw in the best video to me of that whole time was that close up of Zuck's wife with that, that one sequence. That was Where the best. She is just horrified. It that took me back to like my wife in 2011. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
I can tell you, it tells you how much uh, Dana White hates the media. He brought in the guy that killed millions of media jobs uh, before, you know, but first the, the telling everybody to switch to video and that should not be a fiasco. And then on pop top, but Facebook stealing all the ad revenue from websites. So it makes it impossible to have a, a media content website that can generate enough revenue to pay your employees. I feel like this is a perfect time for a John rant. Oh, I'm done. That's that was it. it. That, was, that was my rant. That was, a, that was concise. <laughs> Damn it. All right. Do you guys want to move on to one? Not sure. really. I'm kind of, you know, but <laughs> let's do it. Well, you're the one who wrote it, John. So I'm going to briefly tell people about if you have not read John's article at Bloody Elbow, published on October 4th, one championship reports record high $110 million in losses. If, if you're reading that thinking, oh my God, they made some money in losses for 2021, 383 million in total. Uh, you definitely want to check that out. And then if you haven't seen, uh, Chatri's interview with Ariel, uh, find a way to check that out because it, it to me, that was extremely eye opening. But, um, first, John, do you want to share with everyone kind of who maybe hasn't read it? Uh, the well, first we article? should, we should credit Anton. Yes. I'm sorry. I didn't even see his name there. Sorry. Well, Sorry, let's not let, let, let's not let's not credit him. It's all me. It's all me that uh, well, give give him. A, I mean, I'm just so used to those being your pieces. I thought. Yeah, he, well, they, they, they generally are, but they, they the material came out, and I couldn't. I was I have a regular job. I didn't have time, so he helped me with that one. So, but he did a lot. So, and, and he, all the mistakes in it are his, though. All the good stuff's mine. All the mistakes <laughs> is all the good stuff mine. But uh, but I guess the summary is. For the last several years, we've been getting the the ACRO reports, which is basically the Singapore's version of the SEC, that they're the required one group one holdings. The parent company of one has to file every year. So for, I think, five years now we've done this. We talk about their finances, and every year they show losses, and this year was a record. Uh, th- thankfully they switched to us dollars. So it's no longer do we have to convert from Singapore dollars. So they've, they lost 111 million last year in 2021. Now I should say that 100 of it's a little bit misleading because there's a one-time loss on a convertible note that they had. They marked out, marked down 38 million. I believe it is on this convertible note. So really their losses were 73 million, which is still large, but a little bit large less than it was two years ago, pre-pandemic. So. Maybe you could say it's going the right direction, but there's still a lot of questions. And the questions are for revenue, revenue is going up, but we, there's no way to discern how much of that is barter transactions and not barter transactions. And Paul did a great, I've, co- I've commented barter transactions before, but Paul did a write up a few years ago exclusively just about the, not exclusively, but focus mostly on the barter transactions with one championship and a lot of the questions raised by them. And we still don't know because they note that they have, they, they basically they don't call them barter transactions anymore, but they note that they still do them. But we have no way to know for sure how much of that makes up their broadcast revenue and their sponsor revenue. So that's question one. And so, I mean, that's the biggest question. So they have they've raised five hundred nineteen million so far. At the end of two thousand twenty one, they've gone through like three hundred sixty million, leaving them about one hundred sixty million dollars left over. Uh, at the rate of burn, the question is how much more. How much more can they burn? How much more can profit take off? Being Tatri said that they're just around the corner's profitability or that they'll spend up to a billion. I don't see any company ever spending a billion on a fight promotion. I just don't see it. Where, where's the return on investment? Even, even if you look at uh, PBC spent hundreds of millions of dollars, basically the same amount. 
But PBC, you're dealing in a sport that was already inherently super expensive. And as soon as they stopped doing it, there was an avenue to make money with PBC, those fighters. They can put them on pay-per-view. They can start selling it to Showtime. There were, I don't know if there's anyone willing to spend tens of millions of dollars in broadcast rights on one right now. They have an Amazon deal, but they're locked in that for five years. So, uh, I don't, I'm not one to say that maybe Chachi's right. Maybe they'll just eventually just, there's such a big organic fan base that they can turn on the revenue. I don't get that sense. But I don't think they're like people are like, oh, they're going to go bankrupt and collapse. I don't think that's a, that that could happen. But I don't think that's a big risk because they don't have loans. They're getting they're spending the capital they've raised, which means all they got to do is stop spending so much. And because they're not a lot of that money doesn't look like it's being spent on the production itself. It's being spent on marketing and other stuff. So you could cut that down. It's possible that they could they could keep going for a while, but. uh I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? What do you think of their finances? Am I right on that take? Or do you think they're ready to blow up as the competitor to UFC? Paul, you were pleasant. You work for a legitimate site. Not like, you know, you write for Bloomberg, one of the sites that knows Bloomberg. what they're talking about. You know, don't, read, don't read Bloody Elbow. Bloomberg. Oh, Forbes. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> They're all the same. Who cares? <laughs> no, according to Chatri, the only two reputable sources are Financial Times and Bloomberg, because he interviewed with them. But Jason, do you wanna do you wanna throw in your two cents here first? Ah, oh, sure. Why not? I'm, uh, I'm, so I'm, here's, I'm, I'm looking something up too. Here is my thing about this whole one championship uh, fiasco, as well as um, his interview with Ariel Hawan. Well, first of all. Um, do I think that one championship is profitable? Uh, maybe, you know, uh, it depends. I think a lot of this is, is hopeful on the Amazon prime deal. They, they hope that, um, people are still willing to, uh, are bullish on content. They hope that, you know, they, they can sell these rights and they hope they can uh, put a package together that can, uh, help them expand but uh that that expansion has to deal with you know being big here in america not in asia uh we've gone over this again and again that where they're hitting in asia is not uh the markets where there is money there's that the other thing is that the finances that you guys are getting are from uh the regulators in in the the countries where they're filing so for chachi to say that's fake news. Don't don't believe the internet. Well, that's that's complete nonsense. Let's be honest with you, because they had to sign off on those documents that they filed with the regulators, right? I mean, I know this is not American law, but still, there is some sort of a belief that what they are filing is correct. Now, um, obviously. For him to go on Ariel Hawani and, and tell and be a salesman and just tell him, you know, hey, you know, we're going to be profitable soon. We're going to be. Pro-. I mean, obviously, everybody hopes their company is going to be profitable soon. And, you know, maybe one championship will because, uh, you know, they have a lot, lot of money to uh, to expend. I mean, they, yeah, they have a lot of money to expend. Apparently, they have a lot of people that will, are willing to give them cash. But at some point, it's going to have to come to an end. They're going to have to show it. Um, whether or not what they're filing is correct or not, they'll have to answer to somebody else. But th- that's my two cents about it. We don't, I mean, I'm not even, uh, we, I have looked at the, uh, financials and I don't, I'm not a 
numbers guy, but you could basically tell from what uh, what the interviews say that he's not being very uh, forthright and upright with what he's saying and what is fi- being filed. So that's my opinion. There you go. Yeah, and and another thing I'll add in is, I mean, I'm not going to address his interview with Arlo yet because I'm assuming we're going to talk about that in in a, in a little bit. But um, I mean, it, it was it was the part that stood out to me was well, first off, one I, one I, was this in your piece, John? Because I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm, I'm not saying one championship. I'm saying one um, that uh, like. You can, you can talk about, you know, whether barter's a big deal or not and, and, uh, maybe dispute some of the numbers regarding losses, even though they're his numbers. So I don't even know how you do that. But I mean, cash flows, you can't get your way around. Like you cannot get around that. And, and, and 2020 restated is, is like, what is it? 39 million loss in cash flows and 2021, it's, it's almost 63 million. So it, <laughs> Their losses are definitely going up. Now, what, well, I was going to jump into what like a normal CEO might do to explain that, but I'll, I'll hold off on that, um, for just a little bit. But the other thing that stood out was to me was, uh, that, you know, we know from our past work when you could see barter transactions that they were, well, I don't remember the exact numbers off the top of my head, but they were a significant percentage, uh, of one's revenues. And it was, it was squirrely and, 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 John and I would hear things from people about you know, what one would do to get people in the arena and stuff like that. Um, you know, we would hear stories. Um, and so you, when we knew what barter revenues were, we knew they were a substantial chunk. Then they started, I mean, I don't know if there's any other word for it than hiding them, right? Basically mixing them in with other parts of their uh, financial statements. And, uh, but what stood out to me was something that was mentioned in John's piece about like a restatement. And, it's, and, and as someone who's, you know, kind of been in this world, I, I'm not an accountant. I don't live in the finance world, but I am married to one and I deal with and hear a lot of their issues because I'm like the, you know, person to help me figure this out kind of thing. Right. Um, and, and the fact that there was a restatement on, by my calculations, $38 million in broadcast revenue that got restated up $9 million. Like, how in the world does that happen? If it's money coming in the door, it's pretty damn easy to count that, right? And what they mentioned was sort of their estimation approach of non-cash considerations. And to be fair, there's a whole paragraph there with a few bullet points of ways that that restatement happened. But the number one was that estimation approach of non-cash consideration, which to me just screams barter, right? And the fact that broadcast revenue just happens to match marketing expense is very suspicious. And they both got adjusted up right around $9 million. It just, in one year, a one-year adjustment, that just screams to me that there's a still a huge chunk of barter transaction. And some auditor was like, you can't account for it that way. You've got to do this different. And it made this huge change, a huge percentage change in their numbers. Right. So they, it's just, it's, they're talking about going IPO and it seems like you've still got this going on. <laughs> it's just like, how, 
if they were going to do a spec, I would get it. Okay. Right. Okay. We're not disclosing much. Take your chances, guys. Right. For investors. Uh, but IPO, like how in the hell? And that was before the market went to crap. Um, you know, assuming things get better next year, not economy wise market, the market's going to move before the economy. Um, then, you know, maybe their IPO could be on the books, but how would they, I I don't know how they get anybody to buy into it. When you see that kind of sort of stuff, when people start really, really digging into what you're doing, I, I just, well, that also is a good example of how the barter works because people, I think some people get confused by the barter transaction. The whole point is for every dollar you're claiming a barter revenue, you have to offset that with a dollar of marketing costs because you're saying that, oh, basically we, we made this dollar because they spent our, our marketers spent a dollar on our marketing by free advertising. But what that, what that shows you is there's no cash flow. It's offsets, but then the losses still are real. That's the, that's the cash flow that you have, you were saying earlier. That's what you got to look at. And that's still pretty negative. So uh, the, the, at the very, you know, you don't know, maybe the revenue is going up, but again, maybe it's just a lot of barter transactions. You know, maybe they're playing with the numbers, but that, that, that cash flow loss. And what gets me is that for that cash flow loss, what I'd like to know what they're spending the money on because as an outsider, maybe they're spending a lot on fighters and production stuff, but I, their production looks pretty good. But I'm not seeing – they're not signing like big-name fighters left and right. I'm not seeing this – you know, they're running a ton of events. But, uh, again, when you go back to PBC, the difference when PBC did the same thing and it, it they they said it was – you know, there was basically a – it was a it was a, a moonshot they were attempting to do. When under their their own documents, it was it was a it really was a, it was a, a call option or something like no that. no no. But the PPC member they said this whole plan to make this a major thing was a it was a moon it was a it was a huge gamble. They even said it was a it was a very we're shooting for the moon on this, right? Because if it works out, it'll be massive. But it did. But you understood why they spent so much because you have guys like Adrian Broner and you know you're you're paying these big boxing stars who can get millions normally. You have to pay them the same. MMA doesn't have that, and so you wonder. I I just I mean. Who knows? Maybe they are putting a ton of product. Maybe just there's so many shows and it is really expensive to run. But again, you look at their numbers and it's not, it doesn't look like they're, you know, uh, you can't break it down for a production cost, but you're not seeing where you think the production cost would be. You don't see massive numbers there. So, uh, they, my guess would be that a lot of that money is going into marketing to raise the awareness. But what kind of marketing is the question? I mean, who are they? Are they marketing for the fans to build the fan base? Are they marketing to build up the 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 pre- presence of the company to investors to keep the money coming? I don't know. And should we and should we stop and just caveat all this with? I think all through. Well, I don't know if John watches the shows because they're on Amazon now, but I I I think we all love their shows. They're I don't watch Amazon. I refuse to watch Amazon. But yes, I've seen clips and stuff. They look great. They're they're, they're very entertaining fights. I wish it was on another channel. I'd watch it because it's. Uh, <laughs> and Jason, oh you love the show. Like we're all fans of their shows. No, you know that they they they're uh, they're uh, they uh, do have great production. The Amazon, the first Amazon show was great. Um, I, I think they do put on great shows. Um, you know, I, will they take off for, on Amazon? That's probably what the hope is. I mean, with the deal, the NFL deal on Amazon and how much the uh, NFL paid for it, I'm sure that's the hope that one can take off based on that Am- uh, being on such a platform. So it's just a matter of that actually happening. Yeah. I, I will say that I do wish they got, uh, they went after more, um, 
uh, I shouldn't say top ranked fighters because that's a big thing for me. The relevance of the fight and just it's a lot of their guys are not, you know, they, because they're not facing the top of the division and that are already previously there. It's hard to place them in the division. So I would like the, if they wanted the product to be good, if they went out and got some more yeah. big name. But I was just getting at, we're not hating on the promotion in general. Like we're, we're fans of what they do, but, <laughs> but when it comes to financials and hopefully I'm, I assume we're going to move into Chachri's interview in a second, you just got to be honest, right? About, about what you're seeing and what you're hearing. Um, oh, I should know too, because you always see this in Twitter and I, People are like, oh, it's a money laundering operation. It's a money. I'm telling you, this is not the way you'd launder money. You do not, you know, you don't, you don't lose all your investors money because they're not getting the money back, the investors. So that's, you know, unless, unless the investors own all the companies that you're, who are your vendors and the money's just, but I don't think that's how I, I doubt Sequoia and all these other companies are, are running a ton of, uh, of arenas and stuff around the country to get the money back. No. So this is not this. you would never ever launder money this way. This is. If anything, you could say Ponzi scheme or pump and dump. I'm not saying that at all, but yeah. if anything like, Hey, pump it up, there, make it look good. So there, there, the early investors get paid and let the later investors get screwed. I'm not saying that at all. Yeah, but there's other, if you want to argue that you don't trust or find it, there's other companies that have existed that have questionable, you know, Peloton, the, the athletic, the WeWorks, uh, you know, the, there's, you know, different companies where you're like, we did not, their finances ended up not being 100% accurate. That's, that's, if you're going to make an accusation, we're not saying that's true, but if you're going to make that, that's, that's a more, that's a more plausible accusation. But again, we're not saying that because we don't, we just got the numbers we can work with until we get more details. It's impossible to say what's going on with the business and, or until we see exactly what their plan is too. I mean, Chatri will say what their plan is, but I don't know if that's a hundred percent their plan or not. You know, I, yes. cause I, I, and I, please I don't crap on Peloton because you know, me and Kindle tool, she, <sighs> she's like, no, oh. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying it in that way. She is like, for my spin classes, she is the best. God damn, I love her spin classes. Okay, that's sad. That is sad. No, she yeah, plays good music and makes you work hard. Yes, yeah, everyone loves Kendall. Too. Your minds are wandering in weird places. Oh just, my god, she plays great sad. music and, and kicks your ass. That's I all you I, want. I, I, Olivia motto really kicks your ass, but she's that, too hard. I don't even know what the hell you're talking about. I would never ride a Peloton. <laughs> I'd never get that. But uh, but back to one is uh, I can't remember. You've, you've now thrown me off with that. Uh, <laughs> Let's go to Jason and ask him uh, about Emma the, uh, the interview, huh? Emma Lovewell. There you go. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Tell me. What, what do you got? What room is your Peloton in? All right. So, just... <laughs> Okay. Go ahead. Said what, Emma Lovewell. You obviously Peloton. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, we have it downstairs. Go ahead. All right. When you were watching, when you were watching the interview, I had strong opinions on it. What, what, what was your takeaway when you were watching? Oh, the Ariel Hawani interview. Yes. <sighs> yeah. You know, I don't, if there's, you know, there's certain things, certain key phrases I hate. I hate when people say cancel. I hate it when people say, um, both sides. I hate it when people say uh, f- fake news. I hate it when so I, I really didn't like the response. Obviously, Ariel, it could have pinned down a little more, but I'm sure it was more of a 
you know, I, he, he kind of lets him off the hook a little bit there. Because, again, there, the information that Bloody Elbow obtained is from a regulator where they have to report, uh, and I'm sure report accurately and correctly to the best of their abilities, uh, the finances of the organization. So there's a lot of be there's a lot of just vagueness in the response he gave related to oh there's stuff on the internet you can't believe we're going to be profitable and just to uh pin it on that is really uh from uh being a journalist or being being someone who r- writes about stuff for actuary sakes kind of a you know a, a shot at um People who 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 uh, are uh, interested and will look at this information, they know it's public and can be obtained through through uh, the public means. This is one wasn't like a TMZ backdoor kind of thing. They had this information, and for him to kind of be vague about it and not explain it more into context, it's a little bit uh, not right. And I'll, that that is as far as I'll go with that. So there. And what, what would you think if you were an investor and the person you invested in was saying that? If you are an investor, I mean, you've got to, right? <laughs> I mean, if the, if he is saying that you're going to be profitable, but then you see, you see that balance sheet. Uh, I mean, are you, would you invest? That's that, that would be the question you would have to ask yourself, Right. Uh, perhaps there's other things that he's showing to the people that are investing and putting money into this uh, that we are not seeing. But if that is the case, why isn't he explaining it uh, in a better sort of sort of way than to just uh, shoo it away as fake news? Right. I mean, he could have just said, you know, what you're not seeing is X, Y, Z, not, you know, there's a lot of stuff on the internet you can't believe. <laughs> MMA website. Yeah, I know. John, you wrote the piece. I have strong opinions. I'll share them in a second, but you wrote the piece. <laughs> well, I think we're pretty, we, on all these pieces, we take pretty good care just to repeat what ACRA says. We don't, we, there's, there's some opinion, but usually the, we, a lot of caveats when I offer my opinion in those pieces. So it's just, and it's, and, and, you know, like maybe we'll make a list of the, the comments that Chatri's proclamations he said, like, you know, like over the duopoly or, you know, that just don't jive with the, the finances we have, but generally it's just we repeating what's in those finances. So that's calling it, you know, to screw around. It's being fake news is kind of absurd to me though. The big question is, is his business model that he is arguing that they have the story he's telling that he's got raised money for the, the business that he's going to do. Is it a plausible business model? Now, He's arguing basically they're a tech startup that we we're going to grow, grow, grow awareness, grow interest, grow organic uh, uh, interaction, and then turn on the funnel of revenue through broadcasters and sponsors. Um, you know, maybe that's true, but everything I know about the fight business, everything I've read about, studied, talked to people about, I I don't see the fight business working that way. I could be, uh, hey, I'll, maybe he'll prove me wrong, and maybe the MMA is completely different the way I imagine it, especially in Asia or something. But my understanding of the fight business is not, that's not how you grow it. You grow it by, you know, signing the big fighters and building the big fights and having these events. And then, and then as you, as these fights get 
big, you start charging more and more. You you can't you can't create big fights and then suddenly what you're offering for free uh, turn on the the faucet. And plus, not to be as much as there's some interest, these are not what I would view as big fights. I I don't see the 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 demand for it that you would imagine for something that's going to be worth one point three one point five billion dollars. And so that's my, that's my hesitation. That's my, uh, I guess the, uh, my suspicion about it. But again, you know, maybe you'll prove me wrong. Maybe you'll be like a couple of years from now, man, they are, they're making a hundred, 200 million a year in revenue. Just, just coming in left and right. It's very well possible, right? It is possible. Yeah. My issue is again with his explanation, you know, the Amazon, the Tesla, the, the growth models, <laughs> it was just ignoring the sort of, 800 pound gorilla or elephant or whatever it's called, whatever we call that thing in the room, uh, is that, it's the UFC there that you're competing against. I mean, not that Amazon and Tesla didn't have competition, but they had new angles that they were the, they were sort of the maverick upstart with new angles they're exploring. And if you think you're the maverick upstart just because you're adding, you know, kickboxing and jujitsu, I, I don't agree with that or have a slightly different rule set. Um, and so, it's like he kept going in his interview. It kept going Amazon, Tesla, Amazon, Tesla. And it's like, uh, UFC. Hello. The antitrust guys love me saying this, right? Uh, UFC. <laughs> you're not, you're not like this new, you know, maverick upstart doing, doing things in this, in this uniquely new way that you can bleed money and then eventually hit the point where you, you know, you, you win. Right. Um, you've got a, a, a mammoth incumbent that you need to unseat. So there's that. And, but a, a, any reasonable CEO would just, you know, have a, have an argument as to why you could potentially address that down the line. Um, we didn't hear any of that. And so, you know, my, the part speaking of what Jason was, the types of things Jason was saying is that there were just phrases and ways he was talking that, I did not like that annoyed the crap out of me. It's like, oh yeah, no, are you going to trust an MMA website website versus a you know credible source, Financial Times and Bloomberg, which he later on was like, oh yeah, and I like when I talk with them or I interview with them, I don't remember exactly how he said it. It's like, oh, the credible ones are the ones that you do interviews with. Okay, so you can say you're going to be profitable in a year or two from now. Where didn't you do an interview? Three or four years ago, wasn't it with Variety or something where you guys remember this? You're going to be profitable next year. Wasn't there something like that? Am I misspeaking? Uh, no, a few years ago, there was, it was 2017, there was an interview where they said they're just around the corner from profitability and a hundred million dollar a year in Singapore dollars, which would be about $75 million of revenue very shortly within a year or something like that. And I can't, we, go, we, we haven't got close to that. So, right. Yeah. And then things like, Oh, you know, our investor base has trillions of dollars in assets under management. It's like, who gives a crap? Right? Like if, if you're a, a reputable CEO in this situation and you just got called out for bleeding money, you say, yeah, we are losing that money. And here's why. Let me tell you exactly why. I might not take you through every step of our private plan, but I'll take you through every step of our public plan. Right? And you're calm and you're rational when you're doing it. You're not saying nonsense like fake news. Our investors have trillions of dollars under management. Go to credible sources. That was the part that annoyed me. And I was just like, how the hell did that guy get anybody to believe in him? I, I thought he'd be a smooth talker. I thought he'd be a smooth. I thought he'd be like singer on the stand. That guy's a smooth operator. I give him crap for his model, but on the stand, he's a smooth operator. 
right? And uh, you don't lie your way around the truth. You acknowledge the truth and then you calmly explain it and clearly explain it. So anyway, you can tell yeah. that. I mean, is that my rant? That got me, that got me. A, like, I was like, how? How is this possible? I, I, you know, the, the, the thing that I believe is that some of the word speak and um, talking points it goes to is, is also touches upon the audience he wants to deliver it to. It's the MMA audience. Let's be honest with you. So people know about fake news. They know about, you know, they know about money, make money, lots of money, things like that. So perhaps that's a little bit why he brought it, brought, brought that up. But listen, if you're, if you're a little more savvy about the MMA business and you hear the fake or just more well-read about stuff in general, uh, when you hear the, the fake news thing, you could, and then you get the explanation and you hear that explanation. I mean, you know, you got you have to just think like, what is going on here? That kind of thing. You just like, you know, skeptical. I think that's the, the best word for it, skeptical. And you know, I was just I was just looking this up. But perhaps one FC will be the next pickleball. Like, who knew the fucking pickleball would blow the fuck up? But here we are, they've grown like 40% since 2020 motherfuckers everyone's playing pickleball so maybe it's pickleball maybe it's the new pickleball and we're like fuck this pickleball we didn't think pickleball like oh come on and then all of a sudden like everybody's thinking like maybe two years from now we're all watching the next one fc pay-per-view who knows and then Chachi will be like, see, I told you, that was fake news. Well, the, the, the one difference is that there's already a pickleball league out there called UFC. That's the big difference. So it's, uh, that's uh, the, my, my thing is that this is the thing every promoter kind of falls into now. It's raising money that promote, whether that the WFA that was supposed to come never showed up. Remember that promotion was going to get oh, all these investors, but I don't know. Remember they made that announcement. They're going to have leagues and teams and everything. And it's going to be the next big thing. You got uh PFL raising money. The problem is, I think, is that the the pitch is that they're going to all be the Pepsi Cola to the Coca Cola that is the UFC. That's the pitch they want. They they're promising that they can build this something to compete with the UFC, but no one wants to hear you can't really compete with the UFC because if you compete with the UFC, that means you're competing for fighters because the space you're competing in is the fight business, the same one they're in. So you got to compete for the fighters because that's what people like. But that means that the 50% margins the UFC has that you're probably telling your investors that we're going to have too, that's impossible because you're going to have to drive up the price to compete with the UFC. And so I, I think that's where a lot of this is, is that uh, there people are raising money from investors, but the next step, profit, is not there. It's I don't know how you get there in MMA, at least not the degree that they're probably asking people to invest tons of money into it for. Right. Which is what, which is what blows my mind. And when I put this out there on Twitter, people are like, you give investors too much credit. It's like, uh, they might make a bad investment, but they're going to be in those meetings asking about how are you going to get those margins that you say uh, you're going to See, do, I, right? I know, but I agree. But I agree with the other people because I've talked to some of them. I've talked to people about they don't understand the fight business. You're not dealing with, you know, uh, you're not dealing with, you're not meeting up with Al Heyman here who's going to tell you he knows the ins and outs. You are dealing with people that look at it and go, well, the UFC did it, and they're going to explain why the UFC did it, but no one's going to look at it and go, okay, but that we didn't understand that you need the same fighters the UFC has. 
we can't do it. We can't just, this isn't like we can just create, like we're not growing sea monkeys. <laughs> oh, they're fighters came up in our lab. We have all these fighters now that everybody's going to follow, be excited for the fighters. The people follow it. The the fan base you're going to get for any new promotion is already fans of the UFC. And the only way you're going to convince them to follow you is you say, we have better fighters and you have to prove them that you have better fighters or fighters on par of the same right. caliber. You think the one investors don't understand that? I don't, I know. I don't think they do. I think they're taking a gamble and they're, and they're selling them on the idea. I think everybody, I think everybody's selling their promotion is the idea that we do not, we're not going to dr- compete with the UFC over fighters that pays. We can keep the same low pay that the UFC has. So we can, we can do that the same margins that the UFC. And they, again, when you start competing though, it's like those margins won't be there anymore. Right. Oh, it very well might be. Hey, we're going to, we're aiming to be the number, the Pepsi, the UFC's Coke. But then you have to start wondering about their massive amounts of losses, right? Eventually, eventually, when you need new money, the point's going to come where, especially now in down markets, right, where valuations are being compressed and everything like that, is, man, one is lucky they don't need new money right now. Because then uh, you're, you're going to start getting, are we all still here? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Yep. My computer's wigging out. Sorry. Oh. Whoa. My computer's wigging out. But as long as we're all still here. Um <laughs> Yeah, you're going to start being pressed harder on that stuff, right? When money is flowing more freely, you might not get as pressed as much on that. Sorry, Jason, it looked like you wanted to add something in there. Oh, God. Oh, well, I was going to say that the money, you're right after a while, but I think at the beginning is people were like, oh, this is the plan. And, you know, the, the idea of growing awareness and stuff is the whole plan. It, it, it probably takes several years for people to realize, Wait, at what point do we start making money on this? What point do we start charging for this? At what point do, you know, so you probably have several years before your investors are going to come back and go on, wait a minute, what, you know, when do we start making money? So the secret is to raise a bunch of money early and then, then profit. Okay. Here's what I was going to say. Wait, 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 wait. I just have to repeat that. Please hold that thought. The secret is to raise a bunch of money early, then profit. Oh yeah. That's, you know, you've seen that. A, raise money. <laughs> B, question mark. C, profit. There we are. That's the, that's the order. Isn't that the whole, uh, tech boom and everything at the pets.com kind of, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, that's basically, like, yeah. So basically what I was going to say about MMA, if, even if you aren't a MMA fan uh, and, but you're an investor, wouldn't you do a more due diligence in looking at like the MMA leagues and how they make money and the UFC model and that, all of that before, uh, you know, throwing the millions and millions of dollars into uh, another fight organization, whether it be one, whether it be PFL, whether it be whatever startup that might be. You would think, yeah. but I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, the, I mean, they're sitting on tons of money when this happened. They're, these are, uh, they probably have a meeting with, uh, with Chachi's a Harvard guy. Some very educated people come in and they make a pitch. They go, this, these guys know what they're talking about. Let's, you know, this is, but, I mean, isn't there due diligence? I mean, don't they look at the, uh, the MMA uh, but, websites? Yeah. Yeah. With the the dude, yeah. <laughs> Who's looking at bloody? They're going to see the name bloody elbow and go, yeah, those guys don't here, know what they're talking here. about. Or is that, or is this just like me with NFTs where I thought I was going to make a lot more? <laughs> yeah. Well. Well, here's the thing that uh, is also being uh, ignored a little bit. Like they don't just give you money and leave, right? Uh, they, I mean, it's a little bit different with private equity versus VCs. And I think one is all VC money, right? I believe, I believe so. Um, like they give you money and then they help you. They're on your, they're on your board. 
uh, you know, the people are getting in your business. Now I don't, I can't guarantee that it's like that for one. I don't, I don't know how it's being run there, but they're getting, you know, quarterly updates. They're talk. they're reviewing. How are you doing your marketing? How are you doing your sales? How are you doing? I don't know how much on the fight side of things they're getting in your business, but on all, on the business side of the business, they're getting into that. So they're not just sort of ignorant. And you had, I think it was, what was it? Sequoia India, was it? And then it went to Sequoia Global. Is that right? So yeah, some, like you, you might explain. India people would have been in one for a while before the Sequoia Global people would have. So you might have just answered the question though. You have people that don't know MMA, but no finances entering the board and they might be looking at like, oh, when we grow a company, this is how we want to grow it to, to go to an IPO. Now realizing like, oh, at what point do we start getting the MMA stuff working? At what point right. do we get the fight business working? But everything else, the metrics are amazing. We are looking really good on that front. But the other side, I mean, that's a who knows? Maybe that's the that's the answer. They're like, we got to get ready for yeah. to go public, and the, to go public, we got to do this stuff. Although, from what we've seen, I don't know what metrics would possibly look amazing. <laughs> that's all. But oh. the point I was actually trying to make is that those people would also be learning about the business as they're in it. So, uh, you know, I'm not expecting them to be fight people, but they're, they're in there. They're, they're getting regular updates and they're learning. Their big problem. They don't have a fight genius like Dana White. That's a fight. <laughs> there's how many fight. Ge- there's who's it. You need a fight genius, not the money genius. You got plenty of money geniuses. You need a fight genius. Fights about, <laughs> but they also have scarce time, right? They're invested in a bunch of other businesses and they can't give a lot to this too. So there's, there's all sorts of things going on here, but. I don't. I don't. I'm just trying to explain why I'm always confused about one. I, I just. I don't. Again, the big thing for me though is I. I don't see how a 1.3 billion dollar valuation is even conceivable. I just in a fight a promotion because even if you if you're successful, you're you will never reach that valuation because you're basically creating competition for the UFC, which is going to drive up expenses for both sides because you're competing. And means that those margins that justify the valuation so high aren't going to be there. <laughs> Which is why John Nash needed to be in the in the pitch meeting room. Yeah, just to, hey, listen, people, this is not going <laughs> to. <yeah. laughs> but uh, but no, I mean, you make a good point. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I just don't. Uh, I mean, it's. Uh, Maybe in the past, maybe if Pride had survived, you could have like kind of two competing worlds, you know. But that's the other thing is I don't see a market where one is they their home market age they keep bringing up, but I don't see anywhere where there's really a, a strong revenue source for MMA. There's nothing there where I go that's where they're going to be making tons of money. I'll say this about Ryzen from everything I hear, as much as they're just in Japan, there's a Japanese market. There's a sizable amount of revenue to make in Japan, just in Japan. And so they're actually probably one of the biggest promotions just based on that ticket sales and they don't do TV really anymore, but they're pay-per-view and they have compared to other places. So right. I, I don't, that's the other part. I mean, they didn't, they went into Japan and now they've left. So it's like you've, you've abandoned one of the major markets in, in Asia for, right. I don't know. That's one thing I was going to say. If your pitch was, you know, the UFC is kind of neglecting Asia. I know they have TV deals. They don't come here for shows a lot. We're going to take over Asia. Maybe that could be an effective pitch. We're going to monetize it in this way. But it doesn't even, it seems like maybe they were trying to do that in the beginning, but now they're gearing more towards the U.S. market, right? I think they're even running their shows, they're running their shows for U.S. times. 
They clearly don't care about people in their venues. It seems like, even though it looks like there are people there, but then we don't know what's going on with barter. So go back to that. But, um, it doesn't look like their whole, we're going to take over Asia. That's going to be our niche to compete against the UFC is what's happening. I don't know. Am I wrong? Or do you guys, or do you, do you see the pivot or like, are they pivoting towards well more global it, market? I, yeah. I, they're going to run a ton of shows. He said, so maybe they are, but I, I'm not detecting a more global. I just, I, the, I mean, the big markets are, you know, America and in Asia, it's Japan and China, but I don't see any real progress in China. And who knows with the, the way the, the po- politics now, if China is a real, you know, Mar- you know what what it looks like we're going to have a split economic system a chinese and american western and a chinese one so is is one going to be have to choose between those two so yeah so and then the american one i'm not as much as they're now on amazon it's not that's my understanding is that amazon deal doesn't pay a ton it's for five years so you for five years Sure, this is going to give you a greater presence in the United States, but for five years, you're stuck on a platform that's you, you're not going to be making a ton of money on. Maybe, maybe you, you can renegotiate in four years if it does gangbusters, but that's several years of not getting. You know, if you were confident that you could churn on the 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 faucet of money, if you're you're confident that they can be churned on because you've grown this awareness. Well, you're not going to be able to be able to churn on for several years, right? For uh. Broadcast revenue wise. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Unless they started introducing some pay-per-views or something. I don't know. Please no. Yeah. Yeah. Was there anything else you, uh, you, you took away from this, Jason, that you want to throw in here or no? Not without a, not without a lawyer. Yeah. Just, just, do you want to talk about how good my writing was? Is that the, how well practiced? It it was well well good. I I think Anton uh, helped you out there a lot. Yeah, well, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, I I know I'm not that big of a deal, but as someone who has heard high-level, sophisticated people in presentations through the wall of my house for many years, I was I was dumbfounded by his interview with Ariel Hawaii. Absolutely dumbfounded. I was like, how is that possible? <laughs> Mr. Harvard MBA guy and, you know, helm, uh, CEO of a unicorn business guy could be talking like that. And you knew those questions were coming. It wasn't like they were surprise questions. You knew they were happening. You should have been like, what in the world? I was amazed. I, I became much more, even though I love one's product and I hope they do well, man, I am, I am, uh, not optimistic about them in the future. Well, uh, the on one, that. the one thing I will say in last, my last party thing is the good thing is they don't have a ton of debt. It's, it's, it's investor money. They can blow through that. And as long as they have a product at the end that generates some revenue, some money, it can still continue, but just, you know, as what it is. But yeah, so that's, that's possible. That's a, so if you're worried that there's these losses don't have to continue, because again, I think a lot of it's going into marketing and stuff. And, but that's, yeah. it. that's, that's my, and I was that as much as fighters matter, you know, people running the business really do matter as well. Uh, and, and if they don't seem to be trustworthy, that's not a good thing. Um, so who knows? That's just my opinion. <laughs> Yeah, that's his opinion. Not mine. That's his. Not, not, not and I'm not stating it as a fact. I'm saying when I saw that interview, I'd be like, there's no way in hell I'm investing in that guy. 
I'm going to have it. <laughs> what? You look like you have a, a a powerful statement you want to throw in there, Jason. <laughs> no, I have nothing to say anymore. No, right. I, I know. I, yeah. All right. Are we good guys? Anything else you want to add in? That's uh, that seems like a pretty full show. <laughs> Looking at doing another show after like a month and a half. The Thanksgiving episode. This was the Halloween episode. <laughs> yeah, the winter show will be out in a few months. We'll see what else big happens. Hey, something in November might happen. Well, well, even if it does happen in November, it's not like Bulwer is going to do anything. So we'll see. We'll see what our next show is whenever uh, important uh, business thing or two happen out there in the world for MMA. We'll be back. <laughs> you sound so optimistic. <laughs> this could be it, folks. Hey, you I'm trying it. to be a little bit more intentional about our uh, about our shows. That's all. <laughs> intentional <laughs> every six months, guys. There are times when I get really busy and I, just, I don't and I don't even think about it. But as long as I'm not busy, I try to think about it every once in a while. And every once in a while, you, you guys could suggest times too. I'm always one to ask, say, "Hey, let's do it." You, you guys should be host. like, "Hey, let's do a show." You're the host. I did. We all have uh, uh, other shows we're on. <laughs> You're right. You're right. And if you haven't checked out John's podcast, check it out. If you haven't checked out Jason's um, uh, legal submission, yes, <laughs> I'm a I'm a subscriber. I listen That's to right. Yeah, his shows and his little his videos and his and his. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to his newsletter, do it. Yeah. Hey, I'm, I'm interviewing people too. PFL championships coming up. I'm All sure. Right. Uh, there you go. But uh, no. Uh, hopefully, we'll have we'll we'll be back. We'll, we'll definitely got to go back when the PFL's pay per view comes up. Oh God. Oh yeah. yeah. Holy. When is that? November twenty fifth. November Friday. November twenty fifth. Black Friday. Black Friday. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Hey, I'll be back in LA that Sunday. Maybe we can film it from there. Sounds good. <laughs> Jason, come on down. I'm going to be down this weekend, actually. Hey, guys, I'm going to be down in L.A. But uh, I don't know if you guys... I'll be in Palos Verdes, so that's not really L.A. That's not L.A. That's the other side of the airport. I can't... That's... Jesus. I knew that. That's why I didn't want to say anything. I was going to be in Palos Verdes, so... Yeah. It's... Find well. LAX though. For oh, people yeah. who are listening, don't know where that is. All you need to know is that is Tiger Woods famous. Yeah. <laughs> that's where that is. Oh, that's where he drove down the kill the cliff. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm remembering right, I believe so. Yeah, yeah I'll be in Palos Verdes, but yeah. uh, it's around um, um, that hotel around uh, Terranea, right? Yes. Yeah. I think I'm actually yeah. going to stay be staying near there. Well, I used to live in Redondo, so it's just south of right. My my uh my my sister in law used to live in Redondo. There you go. Yeah, all listeners are just bored out of their minds right now. <laughs> well, if you're from the LA, if you're from the LA area, you you know where that's those places are. Good places, although if you're listening and you're around Redondo, check out that seafood place. What's it called? The Old Tony's on the the pier. Which one? The seafood, the, the like the crab and seafood place. It's like oh yeah, there's the, well, there's the the piers, and then there's the area. You get to, but there's also Old Tony's is the like the fake wooden lighthouse on the pier. Ooh. No, Ooh. no, what am I thinking of? There, yeah. no, there is. There's like that row when you get where all the boats are docked. I can't uh-huh. remember the name. They, there's a seafood. There's a bunch of places actually. I don't know which one you're talking about. <laughs> I have to check with the wife. Dang it! Now I'm now I'm hungry. (laughs) All right, everyone, are we good? We're good. Okay. Yeah. Hopefully, that last part is gonna get edited out.
My next show, we'll tell you what that seafood place is that I was talking about. On behalf of John Nash and Jason Cruz, I'm Paul Gift reminding you to keep doing business as usual. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Vivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.